0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Keep It Civil, the engineering podcast from UCL civil environmental and geomatic engineering. And today we're going to be talking about biodiversity in the city. And we're joined by Alison Fairbrass, who's an NGD researcher here at UCL. Hello Alison.
1: Hi Mark, how are you doing?
0: Yeah, good, thank you. And uh, so we're going to be talking about your research into measuring biodiversity in cities and the built environment. And you've been trying to look at ways of making these places more uh, habitable for wildlife. So can you tell us a little bit about how the project came about in the first place?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, So I'm um, sponsored by the Bat Conservation Trust. And um, they work in the built environment because a lot of bats live in cities. Mm -hmm. Um, Even in the really like centre of the city where you wouldn't think that you would find much wildlife, you pretty much always find bats. It's amazing. So they're always interested in new research to do with cities and biodiversity. Um, So that's kind of how the project came about with their work.
0: Okay. And uh, what's the current state of approaches to increase biodiversity in cities and the built environment?
1: Um, There's a lot going on, especially in London. Um, if you think about some of the larger green infrastructure projects, like the Olympic Park is a massive mm-hmm. example of a regeneration of the city um, that was quite an industrial area into something a lot greener um, there 's europe 's largest green wall now in Victoria. Um there's, I guess, plans for the Garden Bridge, which I don't know, that's kind of, <laughs> I'm not sure how great that will be for wildlife. Um, but there's a, a lot of things going on.
0: And so your research in particular is looking at ways to actually measure this biodiversity. So so how does that work?
1: Exactly. So um, like I mentioned, there's a lot of projects going on, but there's very little quantification of their impact for okay. biodiversity. So it's sort of like you get a lot of excitement in this new project and, you know, architects design this fabulous new green space, which is meant to support lots of different species mm-hmm. that are very valuable um, to cities. Um, and then it's built and then it's like, OK, but what does it? actually do has has it has it provided habitat for the species that you're interested in conserving um that kind of like post-construction monitoring Mm -hmm. of these new of these green spaces isn't really happening so it means we don't really understand what works and what doesn't and there are examples of where um projects have failed completely like all the plants have died because there just hasn't been any monitoring of uh, post-construction oh right okay and the reason for that falls around the fact that it is quite difficult to monitor biodiversity and quite resource intensive. So if you wanted to know what species were living in your local park, you probably need to hire um, a bird expert or um, an ecological expert that has the correct training to be able to identify um, different species of wildlife yeah. and then you really should be monitoring quite regularly so regular visits to a site over years to really get an idea about what wildlife is being supported by that green space so that's not only like time intensive but it can be quite costly yeah, as yeah. well so um that cost is what's disincentivizing monitoring happening on these spaces but it's really important to monitor these spaces, um, to be able to understand, I guess, how they can best be managed to deliver the best biodiversity benefits that they can.
0: So how are you looking to actually monitor the the biodiversity in these spaces?
1: So um, we went down the route of using kind of new technology Mm -hmm. um, to try and make biodiversity monitoring um, easier and less resource intensive. Um, So we started exploring whether sound could be used to monitor wildlife um, this has been done in less disturbed environments. So leaving a sound recorder out in, say, like a tropical rainforest, recording for a long period of time, um, and then using those recordings to be able to identify what species you have in an area. Oh, right, okay. Um, so we wanted to see if it was possible to do that in the city, and obviously that's a bit more tricky because we have a lot more anthropogenic sounds in the city as well, um, as well as biodiversity sounds. Um So that was kind of the avenue that we've been exploring for the last few years.
0: Oh, cool. So uh, how easy is it to to transfer over these approaches to a a much busier and and noisier environment like cities?
1: We found not very easy, (laughs) unfortunately. Um, So in a less disturbed environment, the typical anthropogenic sounds that you would get would probably be planes going overhead, maybe the occasional passing of a vehicle on a distant road Mm -hmm. Um, so to be able to remove that sound from a recording so all that you have is the biodiversity sound that you're interested in it's quite easy you can apply sort of low frequency filters to them or there's other kind of characteristics about anthropogenic sounds and biodiversity sounds which means they can be quite easily differentiated Mm. but in the city both in the amount of sound, but also the diversity of different kinds of anthropogenic sounds that we have, means that these kind of simple ways of differentiating between biotic and non-biotic sounds just don't work at all. So obviously you have a lot of traffic noise and this in um, the recordings that we've done by far dominates the urban soundscape. 50% of the sounds that we've recorded have been road traffic. There's just this constant hum. But there's also things like lots of people chatting, um, horns, um, sounds of construction, um, loads of things that both overlap in frequency and other kind of characteristics with the sounds of, say, like birds and insects and bats that just mean that we have to come up with more sophisticated ways of um, recognising the difference between biotic and non-biotic sounds.
0: So can you describe a bit how you're, how you're trying to strip out this urban noise and how you're able then to identify what, what biodiversity is, is in the rest of the audio recording?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, so I guess the first thing we wanted to do is come up with an automated way of being able to strip out the um, anthropogenic sound and biotic sound. Mm-hmm. I guess the reason why... Um, monitoring biodiversity with sound has become a popular thing is because the recorders that you can leave outside of the environment have become a lot cheaper Mm -hmm. so you can leave these recorders out for weeks at a time at very little cost um, and record an enormous amount of sound data but once you have that sound data what do you do with it you don't want to listen to weeks of recording so you have to find a kind of automated way um, to be able to recognize the biotic sounds um regardless of whether a recording is full of say road traffic or Mm -hmm. something so existing methods that are not appropriate for the urban environment typically just kind of um, remove um the low frequency sound from a recording so that would remove any kind of airplane or road traffic sound okay um but that wouldn't be um that's not suitable in the urban environment because of all the other anthropogenic sounds which overlap in the same frequencies as, mm-hmm. say, bi- biotic sound. Um, so we're um, exploring techniques of machine learning that would u- that use a lot more characteristics than just, say, frequency okay. to be able to recognise a biotic sound and an anthropogenic sound. Um, so... For the last three summers, I've been going around London and making recordings um, from a range of different kinds of environments. So from sites right in the centre of the city out to ones in like woodlands right on the edge um, and also different types of sites. So green roofs, uh, churchyards, allotment sites, nature reserves to try and get um, create a library of the whole variation of sound that you could potentially record in a oh, wow. city. OK. So that um, was really fun. <laughs> um, then there was a process of me actually sitting through and listening to a lot of it. So, um, I would randomly select recordings, um, listen to them and label within the recordings what I had listened to. So okay. there'd be like, here's, um, some birds, um, And then I heard, oh, here's um, some people chatting. And then, oh, there's a plane going overhead. Um, So I created this sort of, yeah, I guess like library of example sounds. Mm -hmm. So you can then use that library to train um, a machine learning algorithm to say, okay, so um, here's lots of examples of what bird sounds sound like. And here's lots of examples of what cars sound like. Um, So you choose what characteristics of those sounds um, make them different. And that's called a sort of supervised machine learning um, technique. And then you give it a new set of sounds, um, which it's never seen before. And you say, can you tell me, is is this a bird or a car? And if, you're, if you've trained your algorithm well, it should be able to say correctly, oh, this is a bird and this is a car. Um, and then there'll probably be some times where it misidentifies stuff. So then you can see at which instances it's gone wrong um, and retrain it with new examples so that the second time oh, so it's always getting sort of better yeah and better. yeah so it's constantly improving and I guess the kind of um, the long-term goal would be if you were monitoring um, you would constantly be kind of feeding the algorithm with new examples mm-hmm. of sound so it would be continually learning uh, and improving
0: So when this algorithm is is sorting through all the audio recordings and saying, you know, this is a bird, this is a car, this is a plane, this is people talking or or whatever it is. What are you, uh, I mean, are you measuring the percentage of those noises that are biodiversity rather than than man-made? Is that how you're quantifying it?
1: Yeah, exactly. So you kind of look at the percentage of examples which it got correctly Mm Um, labelled correctly and which ones it got wrong. And that's typically how you would report how it performs. This is very much in a new field to me in the kind of computer science field that I'm not from, but I've touched on through this work. So that definitely seems to be the way that these algorithms are quantified as percentages of how well they performed or reported.
0: Right. And how do you see this being used out in the field?
1: So we actually just got an EPSRC Impact Award to actually trial this in the real world. Yeah, which will be really fun. So starting in September, Mm -hmm. we'll be using the Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park as a sort of test bed for whether this can work in the real world. So we're working with Intel who are building sensors that will be deployed across the park and then our algorithm will be on board the sensors um, and as they record the algorithm will be classifying the sounds um, that it records and we're starting off with just bats just to see if we can do like bats and not bat sounds Mm -hmm. and then we'll broaden it out to other taxonomic groups like birds and invertebrates and then working with the kind of intended end users so say like the environmental manager on the olympic park and consultants in the construction industry will be working with them to say okay so we've got this great sensor network and we've got an algorithm which is identifying biotic sound what information is useful for you and in what format so we'll be working out is that uh reports is that a web page is that something in real time hopefully something that will be usable by industry by the end of the project
0: and uh, you mentioned as well the construction industry is one that might be interested in it. Is that something to do with any uh, green targets they have during construction projects, or is it something that's coming down the pipeline and they're going to have to start monitoring or
1: um well, any um, development project that is involved in Briam will be able to get Briam points by making ecology enhancements on site. Okay. So that kind of sustainability code is definitely um, what seems to be driving the construction industry in terms of their interest in enhancing biodiversity on site. Um, there's also a couple of examples of construction companies that are really leading the way, not just driven by the sustainability codes, but I guess their own belief that it's important yeah. to work with biodiversity as well as the other facets of sustainability like water and waste. And energy, but what's missing, I guess, from Bream at the moment is this post-construction monitoring. Mm -hmm. Um, So these companies that are sort of leading the field, they're the ones which are, I guess, foreseeing that this is something that's needed and might be something eventually that's in the code. Yeah. um, But it isn't at the moment. So I guess the hope is that in the future, monitoring would become a standard part of any development project that was working with biodiversity.
0: And eventually, do you hope that the the algorithm will have developed to such an extent that it it'll be able to pick out different kinds of animals and to say exactly what's in a given space is is that what you're, yeah yeah so the at the game? moment
1: we have quite a general classifier so we keep mm-hmm. it as sort of like a, just broad taxonomic groups at the moment so just bats or birds and or invertebrates mm-hmm. there do exist much more detailed algorithms for say, doing like European bat species identification or okay. um, British bird species identification. So there, it could be that it kind of works together. Um, maybe our algorithm does the initial like, is it a biodiversity sound or not? Mm-hmm. And then if it is, it kind of then passes it on to one of those more specific classifiers, which will then be able to give you say species information, which is of great interest to ecologists.
0: Well, thanks for coming on the podcast today and talking about your research, Alison.
1: Oh, thanks very much for inviting me. That's all
0: right. Uh, Don't forget, you can find more episodes of Keep It Civil on our SoundCloud page, which is soundcloud.com slash CGE underscore UCL. And you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Acast, whatever podcast apps you use. Um, But if you like the show, please do rate and review us because it helps more people find the show. Um, You can follow Alison on Twitter. She's at Alison Rass. You can find out more about her research there. Um, You can also follow some of the groups she's working with as well. Um, UCL's Centre for Urban Sustainability and Resilience, USAR, is at UCL underscore USAR. Uh, The Bat Conservation Trust are at underscore BCT underscore. And UCL's Centre for Biodiversity and Environment Research is at UCLCBER. And you can find links to all of these down in the show notes. So if you're interested, you can click through on there. And we'll actually be taking a short break from Keep It Civil, but we'll hopefully be back a bit later in the year. Um, We'll have a new host and new episodes exploring the engineering world for you. Thanks very much for listening.
1: Thanks.